You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. Wow. You know, guys, I am so just moved this morning to be with you guys and so excited to be here. And, uh, wow, you know, the songs we sing today, it says, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. And it says, I raise a hallelujah louder than my unbelief. Now, we sing that, but how many of you know that God wants us to actually do that? Yeah, it's easy to sing these songs, right? It's hard to walk them out. And I just, I just want to encourage you this morning. I believe that we are coming into a time when we're going to see a great revival. All the, all the real prophets, right? I can prophesy sometimes, but I'm not like an ongoing prophetic guy. But I got some guys that I know that are really in tune with the Lord. And there is, there is a belief that God is going to do something great. And uh, one of these guys was saved in the Jesus movement. How many of you remember the Jesus movement back in the 60s? And uh, his name's Wayne Drain. And uh, I know him through, through Shady Grove Church, which is actually precursor to Gateway Church in Dallas with Robert Morris. And, and uh, I know Pastor Robert Morris. Actually, Robert Morris prophesied over me when I came into the ministry. And uh, not, not too many people think, know that, but that's kind of a big deal. I try not to get big-headed about it, you know. He's a great guy. I've been in his house, and he used to come and, and, and preach at our church quite often. He's not as available as he used to be for some reason. But, uh, but we used to take him to Sartans, and, and just uh, we'd have a good time. And, uh, but there's a, a guy named Wayne Drain that we met through him that he came two weeks ago to our church, and he just really believes that we're going to see something greater than the Jesus movement. Uh, in the days to come. And, uh, and I believe that God is setting us up for that, that God is preparing us for that. Because how many of you know that before God does a great work in the world, He has to do a great work in His church? And man, we, we sing these songs. I raise a hallelujah that's, that's louder than my unbelief. Uh, I, 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 sing, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Why? Because that's relevant to us. Because the Christian life is not always simple, and the Christian life is not always easy. But I just, I just feel led reading to you this morning in Romans chapter 2. It says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into His grace. How many of you can say amen to that? In which we stand. How many of you know that God wants us to stand? I remember the old song when I was a kid. I came out of the Baptist church, you know, standing on the promises of God. And it says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And, and he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. That is so oxymoron. What is pleasant about suffering? What is good about pain? And he says, knowing that suffering, there's a purpose in our pain. It says, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We live at a time where Christians have no endurance if you want to know what endurance is like, go to church with me as a kid. We went to church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday in the middle of the day, Sunday between the middle of the day and the end of the day. And, and hey, I love, I love, I love being lazy on Sunday evenings, you know, and I, don't, and I don't plan on going back to Sunday night service anytime soon. But what I'm saying is I just, I just come from a generation of people that, man, when the doors were open, they ran to the church because that was their people. That was their place. That was their community. That was their friends. That was their purpose in everything that they did. And now, man, I, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm meeting younger Christians like, well, we got 
we, we can't go to church past four because my kids got to go to bed at six. And, and I'm like, dude, we used to go to Mazio's Pizza till midnight on Sunday nights, and I still passed. It's because I cheated, but I passed, you know. And, and I made it through life. I didn't die. I didn't die from serving Jesus too much or being with his people. Um, but it says, it says that the suffering produces endurance and, and endurance produces character. How many of you know that we need a better character in the church today? Yeah, we need, we need some character. How many of you are still, how many of you are just com- completely pleased with your character in Christ? Or how many of you know every night you go to bed, you're like, Jesus, please, you've done so, so, so much work in my life, but please help me in this one area of my life. We're, we're, still, we're still trying. But you know what? We try all we may, but we need Jesus. We need to submit to him and let him change us in, the, in those, those, those still remaining areas of our life where we can become perfected. Amen? Uh, so suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. You see, until you have suffered, if you've never suffered before, when you suffer, you have no hope. Until you have gone through some sufferings and have made it to the end by the grace of Jesus Christ, and you know that when another battle comes, you say, you know what, I've, I've, I've been here, I've been through it, and Jesus came through it with me, and I have hope that it can happen again. Amen? That's the, I mean, that's all, that's all we have to live for on this earth. And it says, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit uh, who, has been, who has been given to us. Amen. I just, I just man, I'm going to tell you what. Uh, it just seems like a lot of the stuff, you know, it seems like the church as a whole goes through phases. And, you know, I grew up legalistic, you know. Don't do this, don't do that, and don't look at this, and don't say that, and watch this, and and, uh, and, and you know what, the, the problem was, is it was, it was like, here's man's rules for everybody, you know. And, and what we need to do is we all need to independently learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. Amen. That, we, if we just have a rule sheet, we miss the relationship, we miss the point. We've got, to, we've got to learn how to, when we go through suffer, to build some character and to get some hope that my only hope is to learn to grow closer to Jesus, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to do what He says when, when, when He gives me the green light, to, do, to shut up when He gives me the red light, and to move on and to do whatever. But, um, man, I, but I just want to encourage you guys today to, to never, ever, ever quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit your walk with the Lord. Don't quit your faithfulness to His church. Don't, don't quit being everything that He has called you to be. You know, I, I, I pastor Gateway Church in Coons, Texas. I, do y'all need an interpreter? I speak Hardin County. I don't know what y'all speak over here. But man, in worship, God just, God just gave me a burden for you guys like, like this was, like I was your pastor, you know. I do, and I do, I care for you as much as I do my own people. My heart is for you as, a, as an individual is to, is to experience the life that Jesus died for you to experience. My heart is that you as a church would rise up and be the church that God has called you to be. My heart is that Andy and, and Kim, that they would, they, would, they would receive everything that Christ wanted them to receive as being y'all's pastors. I really feel that way. I met Andy years ago when I was a youth pastor. It was me 
and Andy and Reggie Jr. from Praise and, and Kaz from Pathway. I can't remember all these people's churches' names. And, and, and uh, you know, it was all of us, and we used to, I had just got out of the Marine Corps. I had zero ministry experience. I didn't know how to talk to people yet. I was still very belligerent, very offensive. And uh, I remember coming over here one day so Andy could show me how to project a computer on a TV in my youth room. Because it wasn't really, it was kind of like everything had to be hacked. Nothing was made to work like that. And man, I'm telling you, Andy and all these guys, they, they, they just helped me out so much in my life. And, uh, and man, we had a, we had a great, for, for where we were and as small as the church was, we had a pretty good youth ministry. And now those kids, they have kids, and they're, some of them are elders in my church, and some of them are pastors and all these things. And, and um, the thing I like about Andy is I think him and I are alike in that we know that there is something more to church than just amassing a herd of people. There's something more to it than that. And him and I get that. And him and I, we've tried all the gimmicks, and we've, we've gone to all the conferences, and we've done what everybody else is doing. But I believe that some, God has a calling unique to you guys, and I believe that God has a calling unique to my church. And it's not just about getting people together. It's building people that can endure. It's building people that can have character. It's about building people that can have hope. It's about building people that are just going to do what God called them to do. Amen? I believe that. I believe that. And I love Andy's heart. I've never even heard the guy preach. And I actually had a guy one time, I preached somewhere, and he says, you remind me of Andy. And I'm like, and that may be, I don't know, y'all may have a completely different opinion, but I'm like, man, does that mean I preach really bad, or does that mean Andy preaches really good? I don't know. He left me kind of in the neutral zone there. But I know you guys don't know me, and I don't know you, but I want to tell you this. I genuinely love you guys. I have a heart for you guys. And, um, you know, as a church, you know, I, I know what it's like to be in church. And, you know, so, so that you can get to know me a little more, I want to just give you my testimony. It's, it's about four hours worth of material. What time do I need to shut up anyway? Is, is Andy long-winded? What's, no, really, what time do y'all normally finish? About 12? Okay, Christy, you just start doing cheerleading movements when I go too long, okay? So, so I, was born in, I was born in Beaumont. My, uh, my dad's from uh, Burkeville. My mom was in, from Nederland. She's a Westerner. And uh, they, they met through all kind of crazy stories. He was a Marine Corps veteran. Got blown up. Should be dead. God spared his life for him to be in ministry and uh, when I was about five, we lived in Mid-County because Dad worked at Mobile. That brought, that brought all those rednecks out of the Burkeville area down here. And um, when I was about six months old, my mother was raped while I was in the baby bed in the same room. And because of that, it was time to relocate. Uh, my dad felt horrible because my dad, he worked, he worked shift work or he was hunting and fishing. He didn't sleep. He didn't do those kind of things. He didn't have time for all that stuff, right? He just... And he felt bad because he wasn't home with my mom, so they, they needed a fresh start. We go to Coons, Texas, and uh, we start going to Fletcher. And I think Dad was going to First Baptist Needling or whatever, and he walked the aisle, made the profession of faith, got wet, you know. And, um, but he, he wasn't born again. 
and he wasn't faithful to church, and he goes to, they go to Fletcher, Brother Vaughn, how many of you know Brother Vaughn? And uh, Brother Vaughn was preaching, great evangelist, um, and my dad got saved. Uh, my mom, the day she got saved, my mother was teaching children's church, and they had a special guest come in, and he was preaching, and my mom gets under conviction that she had never truly been born again in the middle of the sermon, she just gets out of the aisle and starts walking down the aisle. And the guy's like, can I help you? I'm not done preaching. And she's like, I need to get saved. And I can't wait no longer. You know, so okay. So my parents get saved. And then they get called into the ministry. And uh, when they get called into the ministry, I was about seven or so. I was in third grade in Kuntz. And my dad quits his job at Mobile. Um, you know, he loses his insurance. We get, every, we get rid of everything we have. We're going to Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminary in Memphis. And, uh, and we lived like a quarter of a mile from Graceland. And you're like, oh, that's awesome. No, it's not. That is like the worst part of the United States. It's just gangs, death. Uh, there were murders happening outside our apartments and all those things. But as we're tra- right before we moved that, that transition period, uh, one day I get out of the bed and I just fall flat on my face. And I couldn't walk. And my mom and dad are like, what's going on? And so we end up going to the doctors, and I have a disease called leg perthes disease, and it's a crack in my pelvic bone, about, you know, pretty big crack. And I've only seen like four or five kids with it, and I always go up and introduce myself, tell them, you know, what I went through. But, man, I look like Forrest Gump on steroids for a year because this brace I wore was like so complicated. It was it was strapped around my waist, both thighs. I mean, it was, it was bad, and I, walk, I walked like this. And before that, I wore a cast for two, for two months. And the whole time, this, so this is why dad's quitting his job to go in the ministry. My sister comes down with Bell palsy. And dad's got two sick kids, and he's fixing to just move with no, no money, no plan. And, um, but God, my, my dad was a man of faith, and he said, God, you're going you're gonna to take care of this. You're going to get us through this. And right before we moved, they were going to transfer me to the Children's Hospital in Memphis. And this is where it's relevant to me in my life, what God's done in my life. Uh, It it progressed. It kind of got worse. And uh, we went to Galveston, though, after after a year of praying and people encouraging Dad. And, I mean, bringing me before the church and praying for me. And um, we we went to the the hospital to get x-rays so that they could transfer my documents to the new hospital. And I went in there, and I had my boots and my huskies. I was too, I, I have, I've, I've always had two big button thighs to wear Levi's. I always wear huskies. And um, the, they took an x-ray, and I had an old-timer knife in my pocket and some coins, and they, they, the nurses were like, they were being belligerent to me. I was only seven. And I'm sitting there going, what have I done, you know? And they're like, you got coins in your pocket. You got a knife in your pocket. I'm like, well, excuse me. Take another x-ray, you know, and. But it wasn't the coins and the knife. It was the fact that they couldn't find anything wrong with my hip anymore. And I had just been there like two weeks before in worse condition than I started. So I got healed, amen, in the name of Jesus. I was told that I wouldn't be able to play sports. I was told that I'd have a plastic hip by the time I was 17. I was told that I would not be able to do what all the other kids had done. And uh, so my hip is healed, and I go on to live a normal life. Uh, I played football. I, I powerlifted. 
uh, and and I think God did too good of a job on my hips because my thighs are like huge. I mean, it don't. I could be a hundred pounds or two hundred pounds, and my legs are always just massive. It's like people always like, God, your legs are huge. And uh, but I could squat a lot of weight. And um, I'm not gonna tell you how much because you probably don't have enough faith to believe how much I could lift back then. But but I was strong. And then uh, and then I met my wife and in high school and. We fell in love, we kissed at Riverfront Park and all that good stuff. I mean, it was just, everything was just easy after that, right? We just lived this perfect, you know, life. But we did, we, we, we dated and uh, we, we broke up and got back together, broke up and got back together. I was lost, she was lost, and uh, it got time for me to, to graduate. And uh, her and I were broke up her senior year. She won everything. She got prom queen. She got prettiest legs. She got... She got missed this, missed that, missed the other. And I'm like, dude, she, I'm like, she just did it just to make me jealous. I don't know. So, so I, got, I decided to go into the Marine Corps like my dad. And I go into the Marine Corps. And, uh, and while I'm in boot camp, we started corresponding. We didn't talk to each other for months. And like the night before I left, my friends took us to an unholy place to do unholy things. And, and they brought her along. And we met. And... And we, we it's okay, I'll, I'll write you in boot camp. And, um, and so we, we, uh, we started writing, and I just, man, I just, I just couldn't get away from her. And I just asked her, will you marry me? So we get married. And I go into the Marine Corps. And, uh, and it was funny because uh, I always wanted God to bless my money, but I didn't want to give him nothing else, you know. So I would send tithes to the church or wherever nearby, but I didn't go to church. I just drank and caused trouble and whatnot. And, she had gotten saved while I was in boot camp, and, and man, it, it, was, it was amazing. I brought her to California, and I mean, I just drug her down to the lowest depths. We both had affairs. We both broke each other's hearts. And uh, one day before I went on my last deployment, and before I did that, I, I had the, the, the awesome opportunity to go to Marine Scout Sniper School in the Marine Corps. Uh, it was a very, the, the odds of even getting to go were very slim, but they had an 85% failure rate at that time of Marines that did not make it. So only 15% of people passed it. I actually got to go the first time and made it, and that was a God thing. It seems like everything in my life, God, come, God like shows up last minute. You know, like, huh, I thought I was going to fail. Everybody thought they were going to fail. But, you know, I get down, I'm like, oh, God, I'm not going to make it. I mean, I was lost, and I was crying out to God, God, help me do this. God, help me do that. And, uh, but you know what, in all these times, God was building what? Endurance and character and giving me hope. And so I end up passing and I get, in the, I get into that lifestyle and out of three and a half years, her and I were together less than one year and it led to where we, we, just, we just got so angry with each other. She was mad because I was chasing something else and she was angry at me and I was angry at her because she didn't, want me, she didn't let me do what I wanted to do. And we ended up doing stupid things and hurting each other. And before my last deployment, I just remember, man, God, I remember the Holy Spirit showing up so clearly and just really revealing to me the condition of my life and saying, if you're a Christian, where's the fruit in your life? And when I was 12, I, I, God brought to my remembrance at Corrigan Camden, I was at an RA camp, you know, the Baptist church camp, and I remember surrendering to, surrendering to preach before I was even a Christian. I knew God wanted me to preach, and that night, in California, in my, ho in my apartment room, I got on my knees and cried like a baby and said, Lord, you can have my heart, you can have my life, you can have everything, take it all. And I, and I did my last deployment, came home and began to 
pursue the ministry. And that, that entailed me going right back to being a welder's helper from a sergeant, Marine Scout sniper, to a welder's helper. I had to start all over again. And I had to come home and I had to work on endurance and character and having a hope. And I came home, began to serve in the church, and man, me and my wife, we'd clean toilets, we'd do whatever needed to be done. We were there, and we knew that this is where, see, nobody wants to start at the bottom. People today get called, and they want you to just hand them a microphone and slap them behind a pulpit. But the problem is, is if you ain't got the character to sustain it, you ain't going to last very long, amen? God prepares us before he sends us. You can be called, but you may not necessarily be sent yet. Amen? And, and some of us need to be, to, to first off, respond to the calling that has been placed on our lives and let God prepare us so that we can be sendable and begin to do what he wants us to do. You can't get ahead of God. I've tried it a million times, and it just don't work out that way. But all this thing in my life, I mean, all the, the, in our marriages, the hurts in our marriages and the failures and the fallings and all these things, I just never quit. I wasn't the best Marine in the world. There was a lot of Marines that were better than me. That when it came time to go into the sniper platoon, they just said, no, I just don't want to do it. The only thing I had, I wasn't more talented, I wasn't more anything. I just wasn't going to quit. I had a heart to say, I'm not going to quit. Amen. And you see, because I had a hope, there was a hope within me. And, and God wants to, you to have that type of hope in your life where you're not a quitter, amen? You know, you see, and, and, and you know, the, the presence of my enemies, what I've learned in my life, the biggest enemy that I've ever had was me. The biggest enemy that I ever had was my flesh. The biggest enemy that I ever had was the part of me that Satan could influence through fear, through, through doubt, through all these other ways, but I've learned, I'm learning my, the character that God wants to build in me has to do with my spirit so that I can hang in there. When things look bleak and when things look bad and when things look destitute, I know that God has bailed me out a million times. He's going to do it again. Amen? And Satan wants every one of you to doubt your purpose, to doubt your calling, to doubt that God even loves you. But I'm going to tell you what, every one of you... Is it not amazing when you read the Bible that women would be barren for years, for decades, and then God would say, and the Bible would say, God opened her womb. You're not here by accident. I don't care how it happened. I don't care if it was a one-night stand, if your parents were drunk, if your mom, well, if you weren't planned, you were planned by God. God intended for you to be here. And the Bible says it is the will of God that all men should come to repentance. Because God wants to have a relationship with every one of us. But God's goal isn't for you just to get to heaven. God wants to live with you right here on earth. Amen. You know we're to bring heaven down to earth, right? We got to do a better job of this. But man, we have a... But the, but the world has a, has a daddy, right? His name is Satan. We have a father and his name is God the Father. And, 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 and they, just, they just don't work along too good. And so we've got to get a focus, a hope in what God wants to do through us in this life. And i tell you what, man, I've, I've been through a lot of pain in my life. How many of you have been through pain in your life? Through hurt, through neglect. You, you know, you, you've had people betray you. But you know what? That's the world. That's the devil. Now, don't think God will not allow suffering in our lives. Amen? I mean, it says right here, if it's good for you, the Bible says that God disciplines the ones that he loves, and it's a sign. That's what a lot of Christians fail to see today. 
I remember getting a whipping when I was a kid. How many of you ever got a whipping when you was a kid? You know, I got four or five. My dad got out of the Marine Corps, and my dad did not like to tolerate foolishness. You know, he did not want to be inconvenienced with me being a knucklehead. My aunt, but, dude, he would tell me to do something, and I would, or he would tell me not to do something. I was going to do it five times. It took, me, it took me about a half dozen whippings before I realized, you know what, I probably shouldn't do that no more. And, and, and even into my young adulthood, I was like that with God, just hard-headed. And um, so, uh, but he used to look at me, you know, and, and one thing about my dad, he never, even when he, before he was saved, he never, he never whipped me out of anger. Because he grew up in a crazy home. I mean, it was fist fights and punching and throwing tables, and he watched his mom and dad do that. But he always, he always sat down with me and looked me in the face. I always understood what I did wrong. And he'd light me up, and at the end, he'd say, I love you. And we would hug, and we would, you know, make things right. And it was done. Amen? And that's the way we need to learn to live with the Father and understand that God is trying to do something in your life if we would just let him do something in our life so that we could be what he wants us to be. You know, God, God's really, 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 really has a desire for who, who he wants you to be. So, many few, so few people are, 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 are willing to allow God turn them into what he wants them to be. They're too busy trying to become what they want to be on their own means, and it doesn't work that way. But, but I want to read you today in Ephesians chapter 3. I'm, I'm going to read, it's, it's, it's 1 through 13, it's a little lengthy, but you've got to read it all to, to, to be able to get the point. But being a pastor's kid, I grew up, I mean, I could just go on for days about my testimony, but being a pastor's kid, I grew up in church, and I saw the good and I saw the bad, and the ugly. Seems like more bad and ugly sometimes than good. And uh, by the time I was 15, I had no desire to do anything with the church. I was actually an obedient kid until I was 15 years old. When I was 15, my dad got hurt in church. He stepped out for a short period of time. He went back, but I kept going. I mean, this, this, just a, this is a real conversation him and I have had. He understands the ramifications of, of him allowing his hurt to be put on me. First off, that was my daddy, right? We all love our daddies. We all love our mamas. They may be wrong as all get out, but we'll still jump on somebody if you talk bad about them, right? We're defensive of our parents. But, man, I just, I just really had a bad taste of the church and, and, and all these things. And I was told things like, well, man made the church, right? How many of you ever heard that? Church is all man made. Church was all man-made. That was man's idea. That is the biggest lie that, that has ever been told. And there's people in church, they believe that. And that's why they think that they don't see the church as priority as it is. They don't see the church as important as it is. They don't see the church for what it's worth. And they don't, they don't, they don't love it like they ought to. And they don't, they don't appreciate it like they ought to. But in, in Ephesians chapter 3, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, on behalf of you Gentiles, I'm reading out of the ESV. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery, okay, so there's a mystery, was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. So we go from a mystery to it being a mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to this holy, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery 
is that the Gentiles, how many of you are Gentiles? I just, I just made a big discovery. So my wife took the DNA test. How many of you have done the DNA test yet? How many of you are just, just mutts? I mean, you're just mixed up of everything. So, so my, my wife grew up knowing that there was a possibility that her mom's first husband could be her dad. And he's, he's Mexican, I mean, 100%. And I just met the guy, and man, I, I love this guy. It, everything makes sense, you know. Have, have you, have you, has any of you ever been through any geneal, genealogical mysteries in your life? You're like, this don't make sense. And you find out the, the truth, you're like, oh, this makes sense. So, you know, I heard the guy that raised her, he was a, he was a good daddy, man, took care of her. But, but he was like eight foot tall, and she's only two foot tall, and he's, he's like, like Scottish descent, and she's like dark complected. And I was like, well, it's just the Cajun blood coming out of her because there's some Cajun in there too. So a couple of Christmases ago, I thought, well, I'm going to be clever. I'm going to get her a DNA test. You know, I get her the DNA test, and it comes back half Native American. Like she is 50% Native American. And, but Mexico, it, like, it shows you the little places where it comes from and all that. And, uh, and we figured that out. And, uh, you know, I, I, was, I had a point there with this. I don't know what it is. Oh, 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 that's right. Okay, I, I just remembered. I saw the Gentile deal. So, so anyway, hey, you, you talk about restoration, man. She just met her dad at 43, 44 years old. They're building a new relationship. I mean, he, 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 he loves her. I mean, he, he didn't understand all this. And he's like, you know, you just don't walk up to people and say, hey, you're my mom, you're my dad. You're like, well, do we have any proof at all? Well, he didn't understand how this works, so she met her brother. She's got three new brothers out of this deal, and out of this deal, and 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 so her older brother says, "Look, I'll expedite this with Dad." They meet at the they meet at the clinic to do the DNA. Her dad walks in the room, looks at her, and he goes, "I already know." She's got his cheek, jaws. I mean, looks like him, acts like him, and everything. You see, I've got her, and I've got a 21 year old, and a, tw- and, a, and a well, fixed to be 22, fixed to be 12. And both of them, they got these, these, I'm like, where'd you get all these features from? You know, and now I'm starting to see their, their real grandfather in them. And it's, it's amazing. So I thought, I'm going to go do the DNA test, right? I'm going to find out, you know, what my background is. And I know my, my great-great-grandmother was like a third Cherokee or whatnot. So I get the results back. I'm like 1% Native American, you know. So I only have a, you know, I only, only feel partially good about living on the soil here. And... And, but, dude, I am 82% English. I mean, I'm whiter than white bread. I mean, I'm just, you know. And I'm, six, I'm 16% Irish, but I'm 1% Jew. And I thought, where in the world did that come from? I think it was my mama's side because her, her family's a mystery and we're trying to keep it that way. But so every time I read Gentiles, I'm like, Wow. What am I? You know, I'm like, just, I'm just this 1%, but I'm not 100% Gentile. So the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So he's saying this mystery is being revealed about the Gentiles. Quit laughing at me, Kim. You shouldn't laugh in church. What's wrong with you? It says, Of the gospel I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given me 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And, and here it is. And to bring to light, bring to light, to make known for everyone, not just Gentiles, but Jews, Hispanic, you know, Irish, English, it don't matter what you are, but to be made known to everyone what is the plan of the mystery. So the mystery of Jesus had a plan. And it says, hidden for ages in God who created all things. And here's the plan. So that through the church, the church, amen? Can I get an amen? I know y'all had coffee this morning, so I know you're awake. Man, I had coffee and a dead gum uh, frappe from Starbucks. So probably I don't do cartwheels up here. But so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? In, in whom you have boldness and access with confidence. Be confident today. Know who you are. Know who your daddy is. Amen? God our Father, who art in heaven, holy is His name. Amen? Man, I tell you what, sometimes I act like my earthly daddy, and I'm like, oh, you know, I've got some good traits and bad traits, but I'm going to tell you what, when you can say that my Father in heaven, holy is His name, there is no bad traits that you can inherit from God. And I love this. I love this about God. You know, we always equate being saved as, a, as adoption, and it is. But I'm going to tell you what, you can adopt someone that doesn't have your DNA, and that won't change, but when God adopts you, your DNA changes. Something on the inside changes. You have been given new life. You are a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things become new. He doesn't just give you a name. He gives you a new identity from the inside out. Is that not good? And it says, In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. And Paul says, don't worry about me suffering. Paul, man, Paul, Paul penned all this great biblical stuff from prison, suffering. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't trying to encourage himself. I'm sure he did encourage himself, but I mean, he, he was so excited and he had such a grasp of who he was. It was the, the church was, was <laughs> kind of in his hands to start it and to make it what it was in the Gentile nations. And we have, the, we have the, the, the responsibility to continue the work that, that Jesus came to do in the church and through the church and to be His church. Amen? We, we've got to really begin to wrestle and grasp what that means. And we've got to be willing that even when we're, when we're going through hard times and even when we're suffering, we are still called and to be God's church. We're still called to be a part of God's church. We're still called to, to do what the church is to do. Amen? we got to quit checking out and start checking in and, and showing up and being a part and, and, and not let the world... Let me tell you something. Satan does not like the church. The Bible says that the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church, amen? But what does that mean? That means he's going to do his dang hardest to assault us and to assault the church and to assault the body and try to defeat it even though he can't. But you know what? Churches shut down sometimes. You know, that promise is to the church as a whole. 
But us as local churches, we either going to accept that or not and say, hey, we're going to rise up and be who God's called us to be. We're going to rise up and be what God wants to do in our life. And if you skip down to verse 21, it says, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Throughout how many generations? All of them. It wasn't just for a short appointed time that, that Jesus planned to use the church. We're, we're one of those generations, 2,000 years later, that God still is trying to use and God is still trying to move through. And I'm going to tell you what, Satan wants us to doubt, Satan wants us to fear, Satan wants us to worry, but God is trying to, through, through even the suffering that we go through, He's trying to build the character. Have you ever met somebody that just overly impressed you with how they dealt with difficulty? I got a guy in my church, and I, I, didn't, I, he, I totally forgot about this. I went to visit him the other day. He got in a bad motorcycle wreck, and, and he is just, I mean, from, from waist down, just all broken up. And so he can't use the bathroom, you know, well, and however you say that, properly. And so he's constantly getting infections and going into the hospital. And I mean, and you know, it's like one of those guys, you're like, man, God, heal this guy. I mean, I get, I just, when he walks up into my presence, I'm like, God, you know, I pray for him. And I'm like, God, heal this guy. And I went and visited him about a few weeks ago, Christy and I, but he told me a story, and I, I totally forgot. My dad and I came up on motorcycles. We had motorcycles years ago. We don't have them anymore. But we had pulled up to the bank, and, and this guy was there. His name's Jeff. And Jeff was riding a Honda, and I think Dad had a Harley. And Jeff said, I walked out of the bank, and I saw this Harley guy. And Jeff said immediately, I thought, well, I'm going to get heckled for having a Honda, you know, because he's on the Harley. Of course, me and Dad both started on Hondas. And Jeff just said that my dad just talked to him and was kind to him and said, hey, where do you go to church? And Jeff said, I ain't got time to go to church, sir. And Jeff, man, he was a hard worker, still is, even with his condition. And Jeff said, uh, it wasn't long after that, Jeff got into the wreck and he said when he woke up, he, looked, he opened his eyes and there was a cross before him. And he said, God spoke to him and said, you got plenty of time to go to church now. And it wasn't out of meanness. He was like, dude, you know, let's, let's make time. And I'm like, dude, you know what I mean? He could, he could be bitter. He could be angry. But I have never seen somebody in my life so, such a good attitude. That guy will talk to you. All the, I mean, I'll come up to him and I'll, I'll be upset or, 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 or down and moaning and groaning and whining like, oh, this is so horrible. And I'll go talk to him and I'll be like, oh, my day's pretty dang good. But he doesn't complain. He encourages. Probably the most encouraging guy I got in my church. And he's probably got the most to be ungrateful for. And I'm going to tell you what, people like that will challenge you. People like that will make you think twice about the, the reality that you're living in. And I thank God for him. And I still pray God heals him. Because even if God heals him, there was, he will still be known as that guy. That in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering. You see, you see I'm going to tell you what. You, how did he develop that character? Through the trials and the troubles he's been through. But I'm going to tell you what. He still walks with a hope. He still walks with a future. He still walks with destiny. And uh, it breaks his heart when he can't help, you know, at the church. And when he's having his bad days. But I'm going to tell you what. When he's available, he's there. Um, three things real quick before we go I want to share with you. I know i got eight minutes. 
<laughs> but I mean, did y'all see that? Jesus was a mystery to the Gentiles, but the plan of the mystery was the church. So that God can manifest himself, not just to earthly people, but to the principalities. To the angels, good and dark, you know, bad and good. I mean, to everybody. God says, I want to make myself known through the church. And here Paul was writing this letter in chains saying, hey, you know, if a guy in chains can write you and encourage you, I guess we can be encouraged, right? But the first thing is this, is the church is your purpose. I mean, now that, that's, that's a big statement, though. Because we know that we were created to please God, amen? But we, we were created to be a part of the church to please God. Because if you ain't a part of the church, you ain't in relationship with God. I thank God that through Jesus Christ who ripped the veil and tore it apart so that I can come into his presence at any time, amen, not just on Sundays. You guys should be worship ready when y'all come into this house, amen. Y'all should be ready to worship the Lord. The Bible says, enter his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts, enter his courts with praise. That's why Satan wants to discourage you all the time so that you won't have any praise, amen. But we've got to learn to praise even in troubled times. Praise has nothing to do with how you feel. It has to do with who God is, amen. And God is unchanging, amen. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. But, but what I just read to you, I want you to see the number one thing is that the church is your purpose. The church is your purpose. That's the reason why you live, to be a part of God's temple, to be the bride of Christ, to be the body of Christ, to be in relationship with God and His people. You know, the Bible says that if we say we love God and we hate our brother, that we're a liar and the truth is not in us. I don't have any idea what that means, do y'all? No, it's pretty daggum straightforward. You don't have to have, you know, a, a biblical dictionary to figure out what that means. And, and so many people, we're trying to have a relationship with God without having a relationship with a body of believers, our brothers and sisters, amen? And it's just as important. God doesn't want a one-on-one -on -one relationship. He wants a one-to-community relationship with us. And it's vitally important. Uh, the second thing is, going, going with the military theme here, right, from my Marine Corps days, is that the church is your platoon. How I many of you know what a platoon is, right? It's a group of knuckle-headed, you know, troops or, or soldiers, right? Or, or sailors or whatever. But, you know, I was in the Marine Corps, and the Marine Corps is big, and it's large, and there's, there's, there's Marines on the West Coast, and there's Marines on the East Coast, and they got some in Hawaii, Okinawa, some lucky ones now in Australia. I never got to go there. Um, but, but the thing is, is who, who are the people that you really know, the people in your platoon, Right? And so we know that, we, we know that, that we're, this is a local church, but this isn't all of the church, amen? Y'all are the church. Gateway, we're, we're the church, but we're, there's the church universal. How many of you ever heard that? You know, there's the church universal, and then there's the local church. You see, the local church is your platoon. That's where you report to. That's where you go to. That's where you're fed from. That's where you serve. That's where you're trained. That's where you're responsible. You guys are responsible for this place. It'd be nice just to throw it all on Andy and Kim. I mean, shoot. When I was a kid, I mean, people were taught, preacher does everything. Preacher does all the praying. The preacher does all the ministering. He does all the hospital visits. And he should be doing those things. But I'm, I want to read you something here. It says, in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the who? 
Saints. If you're a saint, raise your hand. If you're a child of God, you're a saint. Amen? You are to be equipped for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. It is not, it is not Pastor Andy and Kim's. They're not the only two that are to build up this body. They're not the only two that are to serve this body. You are to be equipped so that you can do so. And so before you can do so, you've got to be equipped. You know, I went through boot camp, and it was like a fast and furious thing. And, but they trained us, but we continued learning and continued training and continued being made uh, into what we, they needed us to be to do what they wanted us to do. I can still quote the Marine Corps, the mission of the Marine Corps Rifle Squad. You know, to locate, to close with, and destroy the enemy by fire and maneuver or to repel the enemy's assault in fire and close combat. Mission of the Marine Corps Rifle Squad, I serve. And then you do, er, you know, at the end you make some goofy noise. And, and so, but we, we should know why are we here? What is the purpose of our church? And every one of us should ask, am I accomplishing the mission or am I being a hindrance to the mission? This is your platoon. This is your local body. This is your house. This is your place. And I don't care if the one next to you is bigger or smaller or whatnot. You're just as important and valuable. Amen? That other church, that, all the other church, you know, listen, I'm, I'm just like y'all. There's churches all over the place around me. Amen? But, but you know what? This church is important because this is your church. This is where you get fed. These are the people who are praying for you. These are the people who are going to be there when you're sick. These are the people who are going to be there when you're down. And you know what? You need to be doing the same thing for them when they're sick and when they're down. You've got to be serving each other. You've got to take responsibility for each other. You see, I, just, I didn't have this view of the church when I was a young man. But God put the church in my heart. He gave me a heart for the church. I'm trying to tell you today, if you don't have a heart for the church, get a heart for the church, amen? And realize that how valuable the church is to you, but also how valuable you are to the church, and especially this one. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Who have we been enlisted by? God the Father, amen? And Jesus was the recruiter. Our main concern is what does God want me to do? What does God want me to be? Where does God want me to serve? And I'm going to tell you what, God has assigned you to this church, to this local body, to this platoon, and he wants you to serve it full heartedly and he wants you to serve it to please him amen not yourself this isn't about us this is about him this is about the church this is about doing what he's called us to do don't get selfish about it amen i've seen so many people that had so much opportunity and so much potential for ministry train wreck it because they didn't make it about the one who enlisted them they were looking for platforms, and they were looking for, to use people. And Don't be that person. Be a person who is a valued asset to your team. God doesn't need a lot of numbers to do a lot of damage, amen? When God called Gideon to make an army, he had 30,000 people, and they said, all, right, all the cowards leave. 10,000 people left immediately. You know what? The church today is full of cowards. Nobody wants to stand up on the name of Jesus. Nobody wants to say anything that's true. Nobody wants, to, nobody wants to suffer, right? Because it's uncomfortable and it's not good. 
And, and, and some of us have been taught to believe that if it's bad, it ain't God. God, is gonna, God will allow some things to come into your life to make you be what he wants you to be. Amen? Mm. Look at the life of Joseph and feel better about yours. Amen? Look at, look at the life of Abraham, what he had to go through. Look at the life of everybody in the Bible. How many of you want to be like King David? How many of you want to be like King David? Nobody. No, I've read that story too. Everybody wants to be like King David, a man after God's own heart. But you know what? Nobody wants to do King David things. King David didn't care what other people thought. King David was a worshiper. And he worshiped on his good days and he worshiped on his bad days. You ever read the Psalms and think, oh my gosh, David's about to end his life. But you know what? He's just being honest. It's, you know, honesty's okay. He's just being honest about how he feels and what he's going through. But he always turns it around with a hope in God at the end. And it just shows you he's a man just like we are, or, in, or like you women also. The, the, so this is your platoon. The third thing is that the church is your post. This is your post. This is your duty station. I looked up a post, the definition in a military term, and it said a position of duty. Employment or trust to which one is assigned or appointed. God is entrusting each and every one of you with this house. God is entrusting each and every one of you with taking care of, this, of one another, your pastors, your leaders, and everyone in this church. Somebody else ain't going to come in here and do it. Another church ain't going to come in here and do your job. That's your responsibility. That's your calling. Everybody went, I mean, every, man, I, I know a lot of passionate people. I was, I was passionate. I left a great opportunity. You know, I, I thought, man, I was going to be the greatest Marine that ever lived, and they were going to make a mini action figure of me. The only problem was I was too short to be normal. They were going to have to make a Lego figure out of me because I wasn't tall enough to be the G.I. Joe size. But, man, so many people are passionate, but they don't, they don't want to do the work, amen, to become who God wants them to be. If you look at the parable of the talents, Jesus said, you have been faithful with little, I'll make you faithful over much. Who, who, all, who all would prefer much up front? But you know what, you know, I, I love it, man. Kids these days, they get married and they think, I'm going to go live in a real expensive house and everything's going to be just like I want. Right now, my wife, when we're, we're, we're in our 40s and we're just now building our place. We haven't even built a house yet. I'm living in a mobile home, but we're doing the yard, planting the trees. And, and I think, wow, I, I said, you know, our grandparents and older people that, that lived in places for 50, 60, 70 years, you know. Remember going to your grandparents as a kid, and you're like, wow, they got peach trees and all these things. M must be nice. Yeah, but it took them a lifetime to make it that way, you know. It took them a lifetime of, of doing and sowing and planting and working. And it, stuff doesn't just happen overnight. This church ain't going to, you know, just happen overnight. We got to start somewhere, but, but that principle is so important that when we become faithful in the little things, God will make us faithful with much. If I can't trust you with a little bit, why would I give you? You wouldn't do that. Why would Andy? You know what I mean? And, and so we need to become trustworthy people that, that God trusts, that our pastors trust. They're going to take care of things and, and do what we're supposed to do, do what we're assigned to do. But 1 Timothy um, 6.12 says, fight the good fight of the faith. We don't need to be fighting the bad fights. We don't need to be fighting over carpet colors and what color the walls are going to be painted and all that stupid stuff. 
We need to be fighting the good fight, amen? The fight against evil, the fight against the powers of darkness, the fight against suffering, and for, for people that, that, that need somebody to step in and to help them and to serve them and to love them. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then the last thing I want to read you is this, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1. Here's the thing. We, we think sometimes that the fight is just outside the church, but if we're not careful, that fight comes in the church. Huh. Like I said, my biggest enemy in my life sometimes has been me. We need to make sure that we're not being an enemy of what God is wanting to do in the midst of his house. You know, when I, when I was a kid, I saw all the trouble in church, so I thought, I'm going to have a church that doesn't have trouble. Why y'all laughing? Why y'all laughing? But see, I, I begin to read the scriptures. Jesus. You know, when Paul says it, it's important. When James says it, it's important. When Peter says it, it's important. When Jesus says it, you're like, oh. He says, you will have trouble. Well, you know, and you try to go get the, you try to get the, the Bible study stuff out. and try, What does that mean, will? You're going to have trouble. And Paul says this in, in 2 Timothy. Who's he talking to? Timothy. Young Timothy. Oh, Timothy, future, future pastor, evangelist of the year, you know. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. Oh, let me get a breath so I can keep going. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous. My gosh, I didn't realize how long this was. Reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. What? How can that look like godliness? You'll be surprised. A lot of people are fooled by it. But denying its power. I'm going to tell you what. The, the sign of a, of a person filled with the Holy Spirit, it ain't weakness. It ain't flakiness. It's power. Amen. It's fruitful. It's productive. It's the mark of God on their lives. It says, avoid such people. That don't sound very loving. For among them are those who creep. I call them creepers. You know, there's some things that we say, we don't say in front of the congregation, but this ain't mine, so I'll say it. You know, there's creepers, people. They just creep from, they'll creep from my church to your church to that church to this church, and they'll never settle down. They'll never get landed anywhere. They're, not, they're never going to become faithful a little. They're never going to become faithful much because they're just, they're looking for themselves, not for the house of God. Amen? They're not worried about one who enlisted them, and a lot of times they ain't even enlisted. But it says, for among them uh, are who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. These people will go around telling you how much they know about the Word, but they will have absolutely no fruit from it. They're led by their passions. What feels good, they, they don't want no suffering. And because they don't want no suffering, they don't have no character. Because they don't have no character, they can't endure. And they can't wait, and they can't persevere and, and become what God wants them to be. But I'm going to tell you what, man. Church, church ain't just about hardships. It ain't all about suffering. 
But I'm going to tell you about this. If you want to see the gold, if you want to see the good, sometimes you just got to wait for it. Amen? I think about how many past, you know, they, the, always, I try not to read them too much because I don't want to be one of them, but you read the statistics every day about preachers that quit the ministry. This is just preachers. This isn't church people who leave the church and quit serving God and all that. But I'm like, what if they would have waited one more day, one more week, one more month, one more year? You know what I mean? Something might have clicked. Something could have turned. They could have been right on the precipice. You ever, you, you, you ever seen like an illustration? It's a guy digging out of prison, and he's, and he's digging, and, and he's like almost out, and he ends up saying, oh, this is too long. I'm tired, and he turns around and he goes back, and he's like one foot from getting to freedom. And I think, wow, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to quit. I want to keep going until I die. Amen? I want to keep going. I want to keep pushing through. But I'm going to tell you what. I remember one day I was so frustrated. I was sitting at, at Rollover Pass before the flood took away the burger stand. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And me and my dad were in there, and there was a jukebox in there. And I went and put a quarter in that jukebox. And, man, there was a Willie Nelson song. It, wasn't him, it was him playing Just As I Am. You ever seen, who's seen The Red-Headed Stranger, the movie with Willie Nelson? Nobody? I pre, oh, yeah, you have, you're a preacher's wife, and you can relate. It's about a preacher, you know, going through some hard times, and so he just goes around shooting people, you know. It's an old Western, but I'm not going to do that. Which I, I encourage you to read it. But he was, he, was, he was in the ministry, and his wife left him. And he got angry, and he shot both of them, and he just kind of went into hiding and turned to a mean old hermit. But, but he plays just as I am on acoustic guitar. Some of you have probably heard that. He doesn't sing. He just plays just as I am. How many of you are familiar with that song? Just as I am without one plea. And I was sitting in that burger joint, and I was so aggravated and so frustrated. I, I was ready to quit that day. And I went over there, and I put a coin in that machine, and I played that song. And I sat down, and I had my hamburger. I had one of those little red plastic baskets. And that song, Just As I Am, began to play. And I am not kidding you. At this time, I was in my mid-30s, probably 10 years ago. It's like God gave me a glimpse of every altar call that I have sat through since I was five years old. That day I was going, God, why do you want me to do this? This is a pain in the rear. It's hard. It's difficult. It's complicated. It's messy. And God that day showed me every person that I ever walked come up and respond to the gospel call just as they were. And I just cried like a baby. I had that french fry basket over my face so that nobody would see me. And my dad's over looking at me like, what's wrong with you, son? And he began to cry. And I said, Dad, it's worth every bit of it. It's worth every bit of it. And I read the stories of Paul and Peter and all they went through. All of them gave their life, literally, for the gospel and for the church and for the Lord. And I think we could all give ourselves a little bit of something so that the church can succeed. Mm. I love you guys. I really do. I see some of the older generation. I think, man, I, I, I'm like, man, I, I can only, I'm, I think of what I've been through in my life, and I, I'm like, I, I can just imagine, you know, what was your life like growing up? 
I look at all of you and I think, what have you all been through? And you're still here. Did you know that you're still here? You're right there. I can see you. I'm a witness. Somebody asked you if you were here, tell them I saw you. And you guys are still here. And all y'all are still here. You're here. Amen? And, and all I want to tell you is don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep going. Keep serving. Keep swimming, as the cartoon says. And, and I'm going to tell you what. Be, let God make you who he wants you to be. Because this is what you're responsible for. And this is what God has called you to. I just want everybody to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm sorry I went longer than I should have. But I just want to ask you a question. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart today? What is it that you, that you when we read these words, what is it that the Holy Spirit is, is, is prodding in your soul? Some of you might be on the edge of bailing off a cliff and saying, I'm done in your personal walk or, or, or whatever it may be. Some of, you, some of you might be the greatest servants in this church and you're tired. You know, Paul says, do not grow weary of doing good. Why? Because it gets wearisome. <laughs> it gets tiring. But we keep going, knowing that if we don't, there's, there's no fruit to be harvested. But I just want to pray for you today, if you don't mind me doing that. And man, I just, I do. I want to see you. I want, I want to see you just flourish and be so fruitful. I want to see you, not only you, but your families and your, your grandkids and your kids and, and everybody after you. The church is for the generations from here on out. And I want you guys to be able to say, I was a part of that. I was a part of the success of Freedom Christian Fellowship. I was a part of that church. And we did many great things. And many people were saved. And many people were fed. And many people were cared for. And we did what God has asked us to do. I want you to be able to say that wholeheartedly. But how many, if you're being honest, well, I know I was looking, just lift your hand and say, I'm struggling today. I'm tired in my personal walk with the Lord or whatever it may be. If that's you, just lift your hand. Amen. Amen. Several of you. I'm not surprised. But you know what? It's okay to feel that way. That's why the Bible writes so much about it. But today, I just want to pray that God just lifts you up. I pray that your joy comes in the morning. I pray that you rise up with eagle's wings. I pray that when people look at you, no matter what you're going through, they may, may, may be going through something worse than you or less than you, but when they look at you, they're inspired to keep going. They're inspired to keep serving. They're inspired to keep smiling. They're inspired to keep worshiping. They're inspired to keep doing what God created them to do. Amen? Because they know that's the very reason why they're here. But let's all stand to our feet real quick. And if that's you, if you just want to be prayed for today, I want to just ask you just to come down here. And we're going to wrap this up quickly. But if you raise your hand, if you just want to be prayed for today, if you just need strength to keep going, come on. If you just feel down, if you just want some encouragement today. Come on down, don't be ashamed. Several of you raised your hands. I just want to pray for you is all. Come on, girl. Thank you for the tissue before service. Anybody want to join this young lady up here? You know what makes a great church? When we're vulnerable with one another. God doesn't want a fake church of shallow people. This is, this is the norm. The women always respond. Man, why are you women so much better at being Christians than men? 
I don't know. I don't know. Y'all just come here real quick. Come here, Kim. I'm going to make you come up here. Christy, come on. Let's just lay hands on these guys and pray for them. Y'all come on. Let's all join hands. Father, I just come right now, and I just pray for these precious people, God. Lord, I don't know their stories. I don't know what they're going through. But, Lord, today they just need a fresh breath. They need some strength. They need the, the lifting of their heads today. And, God, I just pray that you'll bless each and every one of them. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that they're here. That today, Lord, the Lord, they are counted as faithful. Lord, they showed up today to come worship you and to love you and to be in your presence. Lord, to be encouraged by your word. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'll let them know how valuable they are, how much you love them, how much you care for them. And Lord, I know they've had some, some cruddy days in the past, Lord, in their lives. But Lord, I pray, God, like Joseph, Lord, that they not waste any opportunities, Lord, to be made greater in character, Lord, endurance and in hope. And I pray that you'll love them, that you'll protect them, and that you'll care for them, Father. Lord, I pray for this church, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, that you'll just begin to bring unity in this place, Lord, like it's never been before. I pray, God, that everybody becomes faithful, Lord, to their post, to their platoon, Lord, to their purpose. And, God, I pray, Lord, that everyone realizes if I'm going to get further, I need to start somewhere. That everyone makes themselves available to serve you, Lord, to serve these pastors at this church. I pray, God, that there's not a need, Lord, that, that is aware of in this church, Lord, that everyone else doesn't run to to meet. I pray, God, that everyone keeps each other fed, keeps each other clothed, keeps each other encouraged, Lord, and uh, keeps each other protected, Lord, uh, from the world and uh, the father of this world, God, who would be out to harm them. Lord, let them, let them praise you, Lord, in the days of suffering, in the days of blessing. But, Lord, in all days, Lord, let them be together. And let them love each other and love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you guys for letting me be a part of your life today. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope to see you soon. And uh, y'all love your pastor when he comes home. And uh, tell him thank you for letting me come.